everyone, and welcome to episode 6 of the Luna's Galaxy Podcast. My name is Emmy, but you can also call me Luna, and I'll be the host of this show. The Luna's Galaxy Podcast goes live on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcast services on Tuesday, every two weeks. For this episode, we have four segments. Gaming news, what I've been playing, questions, and the topic of the show. And this week we are going to be talking about my favorite game of all time. Nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. As I'm sure you've heard me talk about many times. <laughs> and I'm not done yet, so here we go. <laughs> so for gaming news this week, um, the first thing I want to talk about is Twitch. So there are two stories here that I want to touch on. So, as some of you might know, on September 1st, I believe, there was the Twitch Do Better protest, um, also known as a day off Twitch. And basically what this was, was uh, a lot of streamers and a lot of viewers were not on Twitch that day. So there was not as many people streaming, there was not as many people watching, and this was to protest the hate raids that have been going on. So I talked about this a bit last episode, um, the hate raids that have been happening on Twitch, usually towards marginalized creators, um, follow botting, all of this just really shitty stuff. And so Twitch do better, a day off Twitch, um, actually made an impact. So, uh, I think this is from PC Gamers. <laughs> um, so Twitch lost about 1 million viewers during the protest, and that number is actually the lowest total number of views for this entire year so far. So there has definitely been an impact. 1 million might not seem... At, like, as much in the grand scheme of things, like, it was only one day, and, you know, probably the next day it was right back up again, where it would usually be. But I do think that this sends a message loud and clear, and, you know, even if the protest itself, uh, the one million viewers going down for one day didn't actually mean much to Twitch, I think what matters is that, you know, there was obviously the impact for that one day, and also, this was covered by a lot of news outlets. So, you know, IGN is the biggest one that I can think of. But this has really been talked about. And as we will see, Twitch is actually doing some stuff about it. So I do think that this was worthwhile. Um, also, just, like, thank you to the, like, bigger streamers that took part in this. Because I know not everyone is able to. I'm not, I'm not judging you if you didn't take part in the protest. But, um... I think it is cool to see a lot of, you know, bigger people that obviously, you know, probably aren't getting as affected by the hate rating because maybe they're not marginalized or, you know, they just have this big platform and this big team of mods that they're able to deal with it. And, you know, I remember there were some people saying, like, this isn't going to work. Like, this is not going to do anything. Just leave Twitch is basically what people were saying. And I don't think that that is the answer to this at all. Um... So it is good to see that, you know, some people are stepping up because I think it can be very discouraging when you see these really big creators like Asmongold saying that, you know, this isn't going to do anything. And it's like, ah, don't say that. <laughs> like it would, if, imagine if Asmongold did that. And I don't even know if he streamed that day. But, you know, just those really big creators that can pull in, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of views if, like, the, the difference in the number even then um, could have been a lot more. But it was, we still made a big impact. So incredible, incredible. And I am glad to see that stuff is being done. So this next thing is that Twitch is actually suing two people that are suspected of doing this hate rating and follow botting and all of this stuff. Now, 
I'm not sure how they, like, if it's just, like, IP address, how they're doing this, and then there's also the question of, like, are these people just using a VPN? Because they probably are. Um, so I'm not sure what is actually going to happen when it comes to this. Um, if this lawsuit is going to go through, how it's going to be handled. Um, I don't know what's going to come out of that. I don't know much about law. <laughs> but, um... I really, I want to see Twitch, they are obviously doing something about this, and I hope that, you know, these other people that are doing the hate rating will see this and they'll be like, oh shit, I don't want to get sued. <laughs> so, even if this doesn't exactly go through, it doesn't go many places, if it can at least just, like, scare people <laughs> into being like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be doing this, um, I think that would be great. <laughs> So, it is good to see that Twitch is actually doing something about it. Obviously, we are still waiting as time of recording on uh, some more tools for creators to deal with these hate raids. Obviously, there are still more things that we want in place to prevent these and to feel uh, more safe on the platform. But I do think that this is a good start. And I do believe that there, that there were some uh, Twitch ambassadors that had met with Twitch. Um, I have been seeing on Twitter some creators saying, Hey, I did get to meet with Twitch. We had a conversation you know, don't know what's going to come of it, but they are actually doing something, so it is a relief, and I just hope to see, to see more from them, because I do think we're going in the right direction, um, so yeah, I wanted to bring that up, because I know I've been talking about the hate raids a lot on Twitter, and obviously on the last episode of the podcast, so there's a little bit of an update for you, um, the protest was, I, I would say successful, and Twitch is doing something about it, <laughs> Is it what people were asking for? No, but I don't, I think this is still a good way to instill fear in these hate raiders. <laughs> to be like, do you want to, like, pay us a bunch of money for inciting hate on our platform? So, yeah, I don't know what's going to come of it, but this is good news. This is all good news amongst a lot of really shitty things. Um, I'm glad something is being done about it. So, the next thing on our little news segment for this week is a few days ago there was the PlayStation Showcase and I streamed it. The VOD is not up anymore because there was a lot of copyrighted music. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna delete that because I remember there was some baby metal playing and I didn't want to mute it because I was like I love baby metal, like let's go. <laughs> um but yeah it was a good showcase I think. There was not much for me as and there happens to be at a lot of these showcases, but I do want to talk about something. So Forspoken uh, was shown off, and that looks pretty cool. The dialogue wasn't exactly for me. I did see some other people talking about this on Twitter, um, how it seemed maybe a bit cringy. Um, but overall, I, I think Forspoken looks great. I think, obviously, uh, graphically, it looks great. I think the aesthetics are pretty cool. The gameplay looks fun. And I, as I'm sure a lot of you know, I don't always play a lot of Western games, and um, I'm not actually sure what part of Square Enix is developing this, but obviously I think it is targeted more at a Western audience, but it does still seem to have elements that I think I would really like in a game when it comes to, like, gameplay, so it's still not, I don't know if I've been completely sold on it in a way where it's like, I'm going to pay for this, $90 <laughs> on release day, but I do think I will definitely get it on sale at some point uh, when I eventually get a PS5. And I also believe that it was Spring 22 that Forspoken is coming out. I could be wrong on that, but I do believe that they did announce that uh, 
and honestly, this could have already been announced. I don't remember, but uh, spring 2022 for Forspoken, which is cool. Um, another game that caught my eye was Project Eve, and I don't know if this has been shown off before. I think I've seen on Twitter that it has been, but I don't know if I've seen it before. But anyway, it looks really cool. There, there's hot girls. <laughs> there's a hot girl. He plays a hot girl. Um, and also the music sounded really cool. I haven't played many, I haven't played any <laughs> DM DMC games, but I do know that one song. I can't remember what's called. Is it Devil Trigger? I don't know. Don't. I'm probably wrong, but I know that there is a song that was in uh, DMC5 that was cool. And the songs and the music that was in the Project Eve trailer was kind of giving me the same energy. And also, like, gameplay-wise, it does remind me of what I've seen of DMC, which makes me think maybe I should play that series. Um, maybe eventually. <laughs> but yeah, it looks really cool. Um, I... I don't think they gave any sort of release window for that, so that kind of sucked. But either way, I think it looks really cool. I'm honestly more interested in that than Forspoken. Um, even though I know Square Enix as, you know, a company and, you know, the kind of games they put out. Um, I'm not familiar with this company at all, but just, like, aesthetically and just everything, I think I'm more interested in Project Eve. That was probably the highlight of this show for me. And there was also more Ghostwire Tokyo. So that was cool. <laughs> um, I, I really want to play Ghostwire Tokyo because every time I see it, it looks fantastic. I love the aesthetic of it. I think it looks like a fun horror game that I would enjoy. But it's in first person. And I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I've definitely talked about it on stream before. Um, I got motion sickness and I just don't think first person games would vibe with me. So I don't know. I'll If I do eventually get that game, it will be like something I get on sale but, oh, I wish, if, it, if this was in third person, if Ghostwire Tokyo was in third person, it would probably be a day one buy for me, because I think it looks fantastic. Um, but alas, <laughs> here we are. Um, uh, also, Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy are being remastered. Is it remastered or just ported? I don't know. One of those to PC, and I don't know if it was also PS5, but, you know. Yeah, I think it is also PS5. But PC is the big one, because obviously that is Naughty Dog. Uh, first Percy, Percy, first person <laughs> PlayStation Studio. So interesting. We have been seeing more of that. I think Days Gone, has that also gone to PC or was that just rumored? Same with Horizon. I don't remember, but we are seeing more of that happening. Um, I don't have this rest of what I'm thinking right now in my notes, so just bear with me. But um, there was also a few Marvel games announced. So we got Spider-Man 2, developed by Insomniac. And then Wolverine, developed by Insomniac. Um, there was... I know this isn't Marvel, but I put them in the same category. <laughs> there was also uh, Star Wars... Is it Knights of the Old Republic? Is that what it is? I think it is. Um, a remaster for that is coming out. So those are cool things for the people that are interested in them. But... I have been noticing these past few sort of gaming presentations. I feel left out because as someone <laughs> that doesn't watch a lot of movies, I'm not like a big Marvel fan. I'm not a big Star Wars fan. It feels like every single thing that I watch, there's a new Marvel game or like that's what's being shown off. And there's also like the Guardians of the Galaxy. We've seen uh, more of that, the new Square Enix game. So there's just, there's so many Marvel 
things happening. And I don't think that's wrong at all. I know a lot of people love them, but as someone that is not, you know, watching a lot of movies, is not really into that, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> like, every time I see the Marvel logo during a presentation, I'm like, oh. I wish this was something else. But, uh, like, Spider-Man and Wolverine did look really good. If I am ever going to get into anything Marvel, it will be Spider-Man. I can say that with certainty. Um, that's the only thing that really interests me. <laughs> so maybe someday, but not, not today. <laughs> but anyway. For the next segment, what I've been playing. So my sub to uh, Final Fantasy XIV did run out. And then probably like five days later, I resubbed, which I said I wasn't going to do, but I did it. Um, I had to. I just, it felt right. I missed it. I wanted to play more Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> so here we are. I'm still playing A Realm Reborn. Um, I'm hopefully going to finish the patch quest pretty soon. I only, I'm on the 2.55 ones now, so that's like the last sort of batch of them. So hopefully I'll start having sword really soon, which is really exciting. Um, but also I want to talk about the Shiva boss. <laughs> um, I don't think that's really a spoiler. You expect to see Shiva in a Final Fantasy game. But the Shiva boss, that music is fantastic. Um, <laughs> like the music in Final Fantasy fourteen in general, I think is really good. But you know, as I'm like doing that boss, I was like, this is so cool. But then after like the halfway point, she does diamond dust. I'm going to assume that's what it's called. I don't actually know what her moves are called, but in my mind, I was like, this is diamond dust. Um, she does that thing where you freeze and then she unfreezes you. You take a decent, like everyone takes a decent amount of damage. And then the music just gets so hardcore and it's so cool. I, I added it to my Apple Music so I can listen to it. <laughs> um, it was just so cool. And I also, I tried to do the extreme trial for Shiva. And I just used the Duty Finder, which I don't think you're supposed to do for, like, extreme content. And we failed. It was very upsetting. We spent, like, an hour or, like, whatever the max amount of time is. And we fucking ran out of time. But I'm going to get the mechanics. I'm going to get it. I'm not giving up, but I'm probably never going to attempt an extreme trial for a long time, given that experience. <laughs> so yeah, I'm still enjoying Final Fantasy XIV. And also, I started the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. So uh, this was in the summer, the, the Ace Attorney Chronicles collection came out, and I bought it on Switch. And I've been playing the first one, and I am enjoying it. Ace Attorney has never been, like, a mind-blowing series to me, but it is enjoyable. It is what I was in the mood for. Um, I really enjoy some of the mechanics. So I've only played the first two Ace Attorney games with Phoenix Wright. Um, and I didn't even finish the second one. So that's... I don't have much experience with the series in the grand scheme of things. So I don't know how many of these mechanics were introduced in the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles or if they were introduced earlier on in the series and I just hadn't played those games. <laughs> but... I'm currently at chapter three in the game. I haven't finished it yet, but I am, so far, that's probably my favorite case, which is weird because I find third cases are usually, you know, the downer, but um, I'm really enjoying it. The first case, I like, I like the characters as well. I think the characters are very enjoyable. They're very fun. I'm not, like, gonna die for them, but, like, I enjoy them, you know what I'm saying? I think that's Sherlock Holmes, not Sherlock Holmes, Herlock Sholmes. Can you believe I said that? Oh my god, I'm a fake Ace Attorney fan. Um, Herlock Sholmes is hilarious. 
I like his, like, movements. <laughs> like, he does these really funny sort of movements with his hands, and, like, there's a part where he's saying he's gonna fight, and he's, like, getting in his, like, fighting stance, and it's just, he's very funny. He's very kind of theatrical, and I love that about him. <laughs> and, yeah, the new mechanics. So, like I said, I don't know how much of this is new, but I like the jury. Uh, I know this wasn't in the Ace Attorney games that I played. I think it is new to this one, but I could be wrong. I think that having a jury is kind of interesting. Um, there was something else. There was definitely something else that I wanted to mention that is new mechanic. Oh, uh, the sort of Herlock Sholmes, like, sort of solving it out part. I don't know how much of that is in the game, because Chapter 2 was a lot different. Um, but in Chapter 2, you see this part where you're trying... Like, Herlock Sholmes is saying, oh, well, it's obviously this and this and this is what's going on. But he gets, like, one key thing wrong, like, every time that he does. Like, you have to, like, figure out what is wrong and correct him and sort of, uh, what's it called? I don't know. But, like, get back on the right page, basically. Because <laughs> it's, like, he's figuring it out, but not very great. <laughs> he is missing some key elements. And so I also enjoyed that. Uh, I think I'm probably going to finish it kind of soon. I am, like, I am really enjoying it. So, yeah, definitely, if you're an Ace Tourney fan, I definitely think it's worth it to check it out. Uh, if not, like I said, like, I haven't played much of it yet, but I'm really enjoying it. And I do think this is probably a good place to start off if you haven't played any Ace Tourney games. Um, like I said, I have little experience with the series, but this is not at all connected, at least to my knowledge, it's not at all, uh, like, greatly connected to, um, the other games. It is a prequel. So, yeah. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> um, so that's really all that I've been playing. I, I was also playing Psychonauts on Twitch. I don't know if I'm going to continue playing it. I am still, like, I enjoy it. I just don't know if it's a good stream game. Uh, so I'll probably eventually get back to that, hopefully. Uh, I don't know if I'll finish it, but I want to. <laughs> um, and also... I haven't been, well, I mean, I have been playing BDR, but I also recently bought uh, Dance Dance Revolution X for the PS2. So now I only need one more uh, PS2 DDR game until I have them all. The only one now that I don't have is DDR Max. Um, so that's, that's very exciting. <laughs> I love DDR as obviously if you listen to this podcast, you probably know that. But I'm very, very excited. I, whenever I go, if I'm, like, tempted to buy a new DDR game, I'll always go on YouTube and look at, like, the song list. And the song list for DDRX did look kind of cool. There are some, like, more Western songs where I'm like, this is a weird choice. Like, Big Girls Don't Cry by Fergie. I'm like, do I really want to be dancing to this? But, um, yeah, other than that, <laughs> it seemed pretty cool. So that's very exciting for me, at least. <laughs> I was kind of disappointed, though, that we didn't see Dance Dance Revolution Ultimate announced for the PlayStation 5 for 2022. <laughs> As I was speculating we would at the PlayStation Showcase, there was no Dance Dance Revolution, so of course I was very disappointed. But actually, on like a more serious note, serious? I don't know. But I know a lot of people were thinking that there was going to be a Silent Hill or Metal Gear Solid shown at the PlayStation Showcase, which we did not get. <laughs> And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if that is, like, a thing that is happening. But, yeah, we didn't see it, so I don't know. <laughs> but honestly, like, Konami, if you're not going to do things with your IPs, just give them to someone else. Because 
I think there's, I mean, obviously there's enough demand for Silent Hill and Metal Gear Solid to continue being a franchise and to continue games there. Um, but also, <laughs> I want Dance Dance Revolution. So just, just sell your IPs. Just, I don't know. Or just make a game. Just make a Dance Dance Revolution game. Please, I am begging you. I will literally pay like $200 for it and not think twice. Or even 300 Like, I don't know. I'm a bit crazy. So I might do that. Like, if it comes with, like, the dance pad. I mean, obviously it would have to. So, like, a dance pad and a new DDR game for, like, $200, $250. Count me in. But anyway. <laughs> Let's get to the question segment for this week. So, the question for this week was, what video game or video game series has your favorite story of all time? So it's a bit of a loaded question. Uh... But I was curious, and I felt like it fit our uh, topic of the show for this episode. So, let's get into the answers that you guys had. So, of course, starting off with the Discord answers. Uh, we have Sucrose, who says, Persona 5, the first time I played it blew my mind, and my friend hates anime games, but while watching, he was so invested in it. And I don't know, uh, Sucrose, if you've played many JRPGs before, but I feel like I've heard this from a lot of people. A lot of people that, you know, JRPGs aren't their thing. You know, anime isn't their thing. But they play Persona 5 and that is sort of like a gateway drug. <laughs> um, and a lot of people really like Persona 5. Um, Persona 5 does have a pretty good story. It's not my favorite. But um, I enjoyed it. So yeah, I think that it's, it's definitely... If you're used to playing more Western games, but then you see the hype that games like Persona 5 have, and you're like, hey, I'm going to give this a shot, it's like entering a whole other world of this cool, like, anime game thing. So, <laughs> if you haven't played uh, many other JRPGs, so gross, because I know uh, a lot of people going into Persona 5 weren't really expecting or, like, not used to that type of game, I would recommend playing some more. I think you might be into it. I don't know. <laughs> And then Gamer Gal Mila says, props to toss up between Persona 4, Xenoblade Chronicles, and I'm not sure how to say this. <laughs> Utaware Rumono, Mask of Deception slash Mask of Truth. One game story split into two. JRPGs tend to have the best stories. <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of like I was just saying, JRPGs, I do think, at least for me, tend to have the best stories. Or visual novels. I think visual novels is probably more for me. Obviously, with Zero Escape and I the Somnium Files and, you know, my taste. But if you kind of, lo like, loop them into the same category of just usually Japanese-style games, um, they tend to have the best stories. But yeah, I, I love Persona 4 so much. And there was also a few other people who had Xenoblade Chronicles in their answer. Um, I don't have much experience with Xenoblade Chronicles. I did play, I would say, about 8 to 10 hours of the Definitive Edition that came out on Switch. But it, it didn't resonate with me, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm still, I might go back to it at some point. But I think the gameplay just wasn't clicking for me. And that kind of made me turn off from it. But it's, it's alright from what I played. Like I said, I haven't obviously played most of it. Um, but yeah, JRPGs have good stories, in case you didn't know. Uh, and then Trenton and Andre uh, said Red Dead Redemption 2. And that's... I have not played that, as I'm sure most of you probably could have guessed. <laughs> but, um, I, I, was that game of the year? No, I think it was God of War that won that year, but I know it was between uh, God of War and Red Dead Redemption 2 was the big, the big thing. Um, 
And, like, that's one of those games where it's, like, I feel like I would be interested in playing it just to see what it's about. Um, but the thing is, is that when you only have a limited amount of time to play games, it's, like, I might as well play the stuff that I'm really interested in. So, yeah. But I do want to play it maybe someday. I'll probably never get to it, but... I know a lot of people love it, so, yeah. And then, Born of Kokiri, the wonderful Born of Kokiri. Uh, go check him out on Twitch. Um, says, Ocarina of Time, a classic tale of boy meets girl, must go through many trials, receives the Ocarina of Time, and pulling out the Master Sword to become the hero of time. Link fulfills his destiny to become a legendary hero, saves Zelda, and stops Ganondorf from conquering Hyrule. And I played a bit of Ocarina of Time. I dabbled in it. But I haven't finished it. And, I mean, like I said, I haven't really delved into it. But it seems like a very simple story. In the same way that I would kind of loop Kingdom Hearts in there. That might sound really weird. But, like, the first Kingdom Hearts game where it's very simple and clean. Sometimes I just think that the simplicity of a story can be, you know, it resonates with you. So, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of cool. And then at Bad Game Jewels, also a Twitch streamer. Uh, said the Danganronpa series for sure. Some things are totally expected, but others throw you for a loop and you just want to know more and more. And I love Danganronpa. Um, I definitely, my favorite is probably the first one, but I think that the story of V3 probably interests me the most, which is very controversial, very controversial, I know. But I thought that the story specifically in there was very compelling, whether you liked it or you hated it. <laughs> I definitely think that they were going for something there and... You know, Danganronpa is another visual novel that I think kind of exemplifies the fact that visual novels are visual novels are good, which I think makes sense that they would have the best stories, because for the most part, they are a story with some gameplay just kind of thrown in there. <laughs> also, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of you said Zero Escape, which makes sense given the audience that I have, that I've built of Zero Escape fans. So a lot of you said Zero Escape, uh... A lot of you said 999 specifically, if I am correct. Um, and then I believe also Alma said um, I the Somnium Files in there too, which is also fantastic. We love those Uchikoshi games, as we're going to find out. I'm about to talk about one. <laughs> and then um, our last answer was at Lion Lights, who said Final Fantasy 13, and I'll die on that hill. <laughs> And I thought this was very interesting because I have played most of Final Fantasy Thirteen. I didn't finish it, but I played most of it enough to be like, you know, get the gist of it. And I, I just don't know many people that have that opinion that they're like, Final Fantasy Thirteen is the best story in games. And I think part of the problem that at least I had with Final Fantasy Thirteen was that I felt like in order to understand and really get a grasp of what was going on in more details... I kind of felt like there was a lot that was hidden behind, um, is it data logs? I don't remember what exactly they called them, but you'd go into the menu and you could read up on, like, certain terms and, like, what was happening, and I felt like I had to read that to kind of understand what was going on, and I really hope that they remaster Final Fantasy XIII and, like, the whole trilogy, because I do want to go back to it and give it another shot, because I did enjoy most of what I played of Final Fantasy XIII, um... I remember before I even had a PS3, I was like, I'm just going to watch some of these cutscenes on YouTube, see what's up. And I really loved it. Um, but I think, and I find this happens sometimes on the internet, is that, you know, you might play something for the first time, you don't really know what other people's opinions of it are, and you're like, oh my god, this is so good. 
or, you know, you're just really enjoying it. But then you hear that, like, the majority of people think that it's bad or that it has all these problems. And then maybe these problems that weren't standing out to you before are standing out to you now. And I feel like that kind of happened to me with Final Fantasy XIII, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, so I do want to go back to them. I really hope that they remaster them and put them on PlayStation because I would like an excuse to give it another shot. Um, like I said, I played most of Final Fantasy XIII but never finished it. I played a tiny bit of thirteen uh, two, not much of it. Um, I don't really know anything about Lightning Returns. So I'd be down. Come on, Square Enix. Like, I don't know why they haven't. They just put uh, 13 on Game Pass. Like, just, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Um, anyway, my answer to this question is, of course, nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. Um... There are very few video game stories that I think come close to it, but most of them are also Uchikoshi stories. So, you know, Virtue's Last Reward, Eye of Somnium Files. Um, really, I think only them. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm trying to think of some of my favorite games and stories that I think genuinely, like, come close to that and are that great and not many are coming to mind. Because a lot of the time when you enjoy the game, it's either a combination of things... So, you know, story, characters, gameplay, they all kind of come together and they make this really nice sort of pie, I guess. And that's kind of what Kingdom Hearts is for me. I think Kingdom Hearts has a good balance of all of those things, but I don't know if it is a master of any of those things, except for gameplay. I think gameplay is kind of the master of. But, like, story and characters, I think, are great, but they're not, like, god-tier, like 999 is, you know? Um, or, like, another one of my favorite games, Persona 4, um... The story is great. I love it. But I think the characters, I like the characters more than I do the story. So it's interesting to think about. And, you know, it's just interesting. <laughs> but anyway, so let's get on to the topic of the show. And this might be a long one because I, I typed out a lot for this. <laughs> I thought this was going to be easy because it's my favorite game. Um... Like, I just thought this was, I, I thought it would be easy. But as I was typing out notes for this section, I was like, holy shit, this is going to take me like an hour to get through. <laughs> so bear with me. I don't know how long this is going to be. But I have a lot of thoughts on my favorite game of all time. Who would have thought? Um, nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. So if you haven't played the game before, you can still listen for a while. I'm not going to spoil it right away. There is, this is the spoiler free section, okay? So for this part, of topic of the show, I'm going to try and sell you. <laughs> I'm going to try and sell you 999. I'm going to try and convince you that you have to play this game or, you know, at least try and figure out if you're interested in it because, um, you know, for me, it just sort of hearing the premise of it, I was like, ooh. Same with, I remember this was so long ago now. I don't even remember. It was a Kingdom Hearts podcast. I don't remember if it was Kingdom Hearts Union or uh, I remember KH Vids used to do a podcast and they were talking about other games or anime or something. And someone brought up Danganronpa, and I just heard the premise of it about, you know, these high school students being forced to kill each other, their ultimate talents, all that. And I was like, ooh, I need to play this game or, like, watch the anime. And I watched the anime, like, right away. And so that's what, <laughs> that's what I hope to do with this podcast. I hope that you will listen. You will kind of hear what 999 is about. You will hear my spoiler-free thoughts. And you will be like, I need to play this game. So that is... <laughs> That's my goal right now. <laughs> so, and some of this is I've typed it out beforehand so that I will stay on track. So, 
if I if I sound a bit more, uh, what's the word? I don't know. I'm not going to be very, f I mean, I will be flexible with this, but it is a lot more um, scripted. Yeah, scripted. It's literally scripted. So yeah. So 999, also known as Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors, uh, released in 2009, at least in Japan. It was, uh, I think, December 10th, 2009. I don't think it came here until 2010. But anyway, uh, in 2009 on the Nintendo DS. It was later remastered and released on the PlayStation Vita, the PS4, and Steam as a part of the Nonary Games collection, which also includes the sequel, Virtue's Last Reward. And I have in brackets here, Switch port, please. <laughs> um, we need the Zero Escape Trilogy on Switch. It would be perfect there. I will die on this hill. But anyway, let me tell you about 999 and its plot, because 999 is a visual novel, is very plot-heavy, so... That's what I'm going to sell you on. So 999, Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors, is about nine people, who would have thought, <laughs> that have nine hours to escape from a ship before it sinks. And it's not a little ship. It's a big-ass ship, okay? It's a big-ass ship. They have nine hours. Um, they were kidnapped and taken to this ship by someone named Zero, who has forced them to play the nonary game. Uh, so every character has what's called a numbered bracelet. And I think it's on their left hand, correct? Because it's like the, it's not right or whatever. I don't know, it's on their left hand. Yes. Um, so every character has what's called a numbered bracelet that ranges from one to nine. And these numbered bracelets are used for the characters to enter what are called the numbered doors. Uh, the numbered doors also range from one to nine and are found throughout the ship. Their goal in this nonary game is to find the number nine door and escape before time is up. So like I said, nine hours. <laughs> they have nine hours to find the number nine door. And every time you enter a numbered door, you'll have to solve an escape room puzzle in order to continue and solve the mysteries about who Zero is and why they forced our characters to play this nonary game. Very exciting. Very exciting. Very good premise. Um, so yeah, as I'm sure you've kind of gathered from that, the escape rooms are your gameplay in this. They are the gameplay element of this game. Most of it is visual novel style, but there is the escape room puzzles that are... I think enjoyable. <laughs> Obviously not the main pull of the game, but it is something. So th there's our premise. Now let's get into some of my spoiler-free thoughts on the game. So I think the biggest thing that I want to talk about is the atmosphere and presentation of this game. So I think atmosphere is very important in games. I think it is very integral to the experience where even if, you know, it, the game isn't a master of anything, if they get a really good atmosphere, and it makes you sort of feel a certain way when you're playing it, I think that is very impressive. And out of all the games I played that I can, like, think of right now, I would say 999 and Corpse Party have my favorite game atmospheres, which might sound really weird, <laughs> because they are both... Uh, Corpse Party especially is a horror game, and I will be talking about that in further detail at some point. Uh, not this episode, but sometime in October, I'm sure, you know, spooky season... Um, <laughs> but 999 has a really great atmosphere. They do a really good job of making you feel a certain way. And so some of the words that I have it described as here are oppressive, tense, and heavy. And oppressive isn't one that I thought of, of my on, on, my, on my own, on my own. Um, I was actually streaming 999 recently for 999 week, which is what got me thinking of all this. <laughs> and, um... It was a part in the safe ending 
where the dialogue sort of says, like, the air felt very oppressive. And I was like, oh, that's a good word to describe this. That's a very good word to describe the atmosphere that they're going for here. And it's great. Uh, but it's also very tense. Every, like, there's... When it starts off, it's, it is still tense, but it gets a lot worse later on. And also very heavy, especially when you get towards the end of the game. It's... It's very, like, emotionally heavy. <laughs> um, but yeah, also the music is really great in building the atmosphere of this game. So it is sort of a horror, uh, not so much sci-fi. It's uh, kind of hard to describe the genre of 999. I've always found it kind of difficult because it's not horror in the way that Corpse Party is horror. Maybe thriller is the right, is the right word. I guess we'll say thriller. Um, but the music is very good in making you feel certain ways. So... You know, when you are in the more sort of horror-y segment. <laughs> what a weird thing. This, the horror-y. Anyway. The scary, maybe that's a better word. The scary parts of the game. <laughs> um, there's some really good songs. So like Trepidation, uh, Chill and Rigor. I don't know if I said that right. But maybe I should like Google how to pronounce things before I say them. Um, fantastic songs. I think they are so good. And they play at like just the right times as well. Um, there's another song called Quietus, which plays uh, when you get a bad ending. And it's very, like, taunting, which I think is fantastic for when you get a bad ending because it's like, oh, you were so close, but you're wrong. Um, you didn't do it right. <laughs> but it, it still feels kind of scary. It's fantastic. Um, and then there are other songs that will play that make you feel very big-brained. So, you know, when June is explaining Ice Nine to you, uh, I assume Digital Root is playing there. It could be another song, but that is one of the songs that is very sort of when you're trying to puzzle things out and when you're getting these, you know, explanations about, you know, what's this ship called and what happened here or just, you know, these science experiments that they'll talk about or, you know, Lotus is explaining prosopagnosia to you. Um, they make you feel like they help my concentration. <laughs> um, a lot of times when I'm studying or doing like homework, um, I will put on 999 music because it genuinely helps. Um, good for doing math, even though I haven't done math in a very long time. <laughs> and there are other songs that uh, sort of like the atmosphere feel very emotionally heavy. Um, like you just hear him right away. You're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> At least that is my experience. So I think that the atmosphere in 999 is fantastic. I think the music also really adds to that. Um, I don't have this in my notes, but also some of the sound effects. So like when the, not, not the number nine door, but like when the number doors in general, when they open, there's like a, and I know that was a really bad sound effect, but like, trust me, it sounds cool. <laughs> it sounds cool in the game. So there's little sound effects like that, that I think are really cool. And actually, uh, some of the sound effects in 999, are also used in I the Somnium Files, which I think is really cool and might add to my theory that they're in the same universe, but let's save that for a different day. Um, okay, so next thing, next thing on my little list here. Uh, also the visuals I think are really good. I love the art style of 999. I think it is fantastic. I think out of all the Xeroscape games, it looks the best, which might sound weird because it is the first game in the series. This was on the DS. The, uh, the sequel was on the 3DS, and then the other sequel was on, like, the 3DS, Vita. Um, so, like, there's some time in between them. But 
999 looks the best. <laughs> and I think that's because the sprites, like stylistically, they just, they look nice. Whereas in VLR, they're like 3D sprites. And, you know, it is a cool style, but it doesn't look, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's different. And also there are sort of like the still shots that are just kind of like drawn pictures that are, I think, really good. They add a lot. You'll see them throughout the game when there's like important stuff going on um, that, you know, the sprites can't really convey. And I really love that art style. Um, I lost my place in my notes. <laughs> uh, the sprites in the DS version specifically look really good. Um, I don't think they look as good in the Nonary Games remaster just because of like the nature of how sprites work. Um, in the Nonary Games remaster, they are more just sort of like drawn out, whereas in the DS, they are like literal sprites. Um, but also the Nonary Games has voice acting, which the DS version does not. Um, but the voice acting in the Nonary Games remaster is fantastic. Um, I think I always praise Evan Smith. <laughs> I think Evan Smith is a fantastic voice actor and it always blows my mind that he is not sort of doing more in this scene because he is one of the best voice actors that I've ever heard, like genuinely, and I've only really heard him voice Junpei. Um, but the voice acting in this game is really good. Obviously there are some performances that are stronger than others. So the voice acting is very good in this game. Um, Junpei, like I said, fantastic. I literally cannot praise Evan Smith more. He just sounds very real. Um, he sounds like a real person. He has a lot of, like, he knows how to sound angry. He knows how to feel sort of defeated. He knows how to joke around. Like, he just feels like a very real voice actor. And it, like, it doesn't feel like, you know, sometimes you hear a voice acting, you know, if you think of, like, a character like Paimon from Genshin Impact, and it kind of sounds less like acting and more just like a character voice, which isn't to say that they're not acting, but it is kind of, like, it doesn't feel as personal, which I don't think is the point of Paimon from Genshin Impact, but, um, you know what I'm trying to say here? <laughs> um, but the voice acting also showed out to Richard Epcar as Ansem, not, not Ansem, he does voice Ansem in Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> My mind is in, like, ten different places right now. Um, he does voice Ansem in Kingdom Hearts, but we're talking about 999 right now where he voices Ace. Sound very similar. <laughs> So Richard Epcar voices Ace in the Nonary Games version. He's also fantastic. Um, also, uh, you have uh, Clover. We'll, we'll get into the characters later. But <laughs> what the fuck is happening this segment? Okay, let's see what's next in my notes here. Okay, so I do recommend playing the Nonary Games version of 999 if you are new to the series, if you haven't played it before and you are interested in it. It is the most accessible version to play the game. You know, it's on PS4 and Steam, which is very current. It does also go on sale quite a lot, so you can probably get it on sale now for like $20, um, maybe even cheaper, <laughs> I don't know. But it does go on sale quite a lot because they are older games and is, you know, a remaster collection, so definitely worth your money. Um, but the reason why I recommend the Nonary Games version is primarily for the flowchart and the voice acting. So, for those of you that play the DS version, you probably know what it is like playing that game without a flowchart. Um, 
The flowchart makes everything a lot easier. So 999 does have multiple endings. There are multiple choices that you can make throughout the game between like what door you're going to go through as well as some other choices that heavily impact the story. And so it really helps having a flowchart to know what you've done already, what you haven't done, um, sort of just seeing the way that things fall. Um, and the DS version does not have this. So the DS version, you have to do a lot of playthroughs. <laughs> um, which isn't bad if, you know, you get the safe ending the first time and you get the true ending the next time. But if you're like me and you like making your own decisions in a game the first time you play it, you're probably going to get a bad ending, maybe two or three bad endings before you get to the, the more like canon endings. And they're all canon, obviously. But the safe ending and the true, un true ending are the ones that you need to complete the game. And it's it can be difficult to get them with a flowchart. Um, and when you have to continuously replay the game, um, there's a little, there's like a button that you can hold down to sort of skip through dialogue, but you still can't, it still takes a while and you still have to go through all the escape rooms. So it can be a lot more time consuming and just kind of annoying. <laughs> so I do recommend the Nonary Games port for that. Also, the voice acting, like I said, is, is really well done, I think. I haven't listened to the Japanese dub much, but I do really like the English dub. I think it is really good. There are some stellar performances, like Evan Smith as Junpei and Richard Eckhart as Ace, but there are also, you know, other characters that I think are really good. Uh, maybe they just don't get as much of a chance to shine, but they're still very good. It is very well done. However, if you do play the Nonary Games version, I am going to recommend that you play on novel mode, so there are two different modes in um, the Nonary Games version, which are not in the DS version. Um, and this is novel mode and adventure mode. So, okay, on the DS version, <laughs> on the top screen would be where like character dialogue was. And then the bottom screen would be more like a visual novel, like description of what is going on. It's almost like reading a book, which is why it's called novel mode. Um, in the Nonary Games version, where you get these really in-depth descriptions, which can, can sometimes be kind of disgusting, but they really add to the atmosphere, <laughs> which, like, like how I'm praising 999 so much for its atmosphere, I think that novel mode is really integral in making that atmosphere what it is. So I do highly recommend playing on novel mode. It is also kind of plot significant, but uh, yeah, I do recommend playing on novel mode if you don't mind the reading. Um, I just think it's overall a better experience, but in contrast, adventure mode is basically just the character dialogue without uh, the more detailed descriptions coming from like a narrator. So yeah, I do recommend <laughs> uh, novel mode. It's kind of like the difference between reading a detailed book and then like going to the movie theater and you're just kind of missing some things. So yeah, I, that's my recommendation. <laughs> Um, also, if you have already played the Nonary Games version, because I know that there are actually a lot of newer fans to Zero Escape um, that got into the series, you know, after Zero Time Dilemma, and if you are one of those newer fans and you did play the Nonary Games version of 999, and you're like a huge, <laughs> you're like a huge 999 fan, I do recommend checking out the DS version as well, because there are certain pros to that game, even though it might not sound like it, um, I think obvious uh, <laughs> I think obviously it is just kind of cool to see your favorite game from a different perspective but uh the DS dual screen specifically I think add a lot to the story and Zero Escape fans will tell you 
that um, there are certain things done in the first 999, the first 999, the, D the DS version of 999 that are better than the Noner Games remaster, um, specifically regarding some of the ending stuff, how it's presented, and uh, like visual, like the visual novel mode and the adventure mode. It's just one, it's just one thing and it is kind of plot significant. So, and it does some cool things with it. So I do recommend checking that out. So now, now that I have talked for 50 minutes, let's talk for another half hour. Let's talk about spoilers. So if you are listening, if you have not played Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors before, I hope I sold you on it with that last bit that I was talking about. But now I'm talking to the people that have already played it and that I can talk spoilers with. And... You know, if you haven't played it, but you still want to listen, that's fine. But I think 999 and Zero Escape games in general are best experienced when you don't know spoilers. <laughs> so I am encouraging you to fuck off right now. But if you do want to keep listening, like, I'm not going to get mad at you. I might, I don't know. But first I want to talk about the characters. So this is your last warning. I am going to be talking about spoilers. So let's get into it. So... I'm going to just talk about the characters in order from their numbers. So let's talk about Ace. So Ace is a good villain. Um, and I think he's really, he's not an obvious villain at, at the start of the game. Because obviously the main villain is Zero. And we don't know who Zero is. And Ace appears to be pretty well composed for the most part. He... You know, he's an older man. He kind of... I don't want to say, like, dad energy. <laughs> but, like... He almost appears comforting at some points in the early game. And it isn't obvious at all, I think, that he is the bad guy. And... But there is foreshadowing to it as well, which I think is pretty interesting. But he's very disturbing once you get to see the real side of him. But I also... Like, I don't want to say he's sympathetic because he's done a lot of bad things. But... I also think it is compelling how um, his reasoning for doing the first Nonary game, um, his idea was that by learning more about the morphogenic field, maybe he could see faces. I do think that is very interesting. I do think that that adds to his character. But <laughs> um, he is evil. Like, he is straight up evil. Um, the things that he does in the first Nonary game are unforgivable, and it's very disturbing seeing um when you get to the true ending and just the the pictures of him uh the art of him where he just the look on his face where like his eye is so wide open and he has this like very terrifying like grin or like he's dragging Akane like running with her and forcing her like into the fucking incinerator like <laughs> it is it's a lot. He is, he's very disturbing. And during the safe ending, he has these lines where he's talking about how he killed Clover. And the wording of it is almost like sexual in a way. Like the way that he talks about it is very disturbing, especially because he's saying it to uh, her brother, who is obviously like even more disturbed than I am. <laughs> like, oh my God. But I think Ace is a really fantastic villain. Um, I also think it's kind of funny how, like, at the end of the game, he is, like, tied up. <laughs> like, they tie him up and, like, put duct tape on his mouth. 
Um, and they're like driving away at the very end. But anyway, uh, I think Ace is really good. Um, I wish I could, like, I feel like I should say some more in-depth things, but nothing is, nothing is coming to mind right now. And I should probably get on with this so we're not here all day. Um, but who knows, maybe in the future, we'll just completely psychoanalyze Ace. <laughs> so our next character is Snake, also known as Light. And I forgot to mention this, Ace is also known as Gintaro Hongo. But uh, talking about Snake, he's also known as Light, but we don't know that, obviously, until later on. Um, he isn't present for a lot of the game, which kind of sucks. Um, he's not my favorite character. He's not, I think, the most interesting or compelling character, but I do think that, you know, he has his good, his good parts. So I think in the safe ending specifically, um, Snake is just shining. Um, I think that is his best character moment, and I think it's one of the best moments in the game, um, when he is sort of in this showdown with Ace and he's finding out what he did to Clover, and he's like, I'm gonna kill you, <laughs> like, I'm gonna drag you down to the pits of hell with me, like, if I'm going to die, you're coming with me, and there's that one line, and this is one of those things where in novel mode, like, you need to play novel mode, or you're not gonna see it, um, there's a line about how once a snake has ensnared its prey, it's not gonna let go, and that's, like, paraphrasing, but it's something along those lines, and I think that's very well, it's very good, <laughs> and it, it's just really incredible. I think that the safe ending, and I'm going to talk about this more, but it, it stands out to me. And I think Snake and his reaction to all the things that Ace has done is a big part of that. And then in the true ending, um, I think he is like a light, which is kind of ironic. That's his name, but he's a light for the other kids talking about um, the nonary game that was nine years ago uh, from, you know, what we're doing now. Um, you know, he is one of the older kids on the ship. And he is, like, giving them these clovers and how we'll all be connected and all of that. And he's giving them a sense of hope. He is obviously a big brother. He is the big brother role for Clover. That's what we know him as in this game. But I also think it's interesting how, you know, even as a kid, he was very mature. And I don't know if, you know, it's like, obviously I think he was kind of forced to mature really early. Um because he lost his arm, he went blind because of this accident. Obviously, I'd assume that that ages you a bit mentally, um, and then going through the nonary game, but he is very mature, and I think he's trying to hold everything together for everyone else, and I think that that's really cool, and I don't know if people really talk about that side of him very much, but he, he brings hope to them. And he's also very smart. He's kind of a smartass. <laughs> um, he is... Not pretentious. Maybe he is pretentious, but he's not like an asshole about it. You know what I mean? Like, he's not really an asshole about it most of the time. <laughs> he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. Um, but he's also very smart. Like, once you do, uh, I think it's like the last escape room in uh, the true ending where they're in like this big library and he's just talking about all these things. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so Snake is pretty cool. Uh, and then we move on to Santa. Santa curses a lot. I remember back in the day, back in like the Tumblr days of like the Zero Escape, and it's probably, it's definitely still out there somewhere, but um, there was like a pie chart, like, yeah, it was like a pie chart of uh, what Zero Escape characters curse the most, which was very entertaining. And like, we all know it's Dio, but in BLR, but in 999, it is Santa. Santa curses the most, so uh, fun fact. <laughs> He also, he, he also taught me about the term pussyfooting, because he says that very early on in the game. So, shout out to Santa. 
he is very funny. He has good dialogue is what I have written here. Um, but also, you know, going more in depth than that, um, he helped Zero. He's a part of this game to help his sister survive. Um, my notes here are really messy. I don't, I put, I, uh, here's what I put. Has helped Zero piece a part of this, a part, this mini game to help, like, what's it, how is this a mini game anyway? I'm just calling myself out right now. But, um, Santa's really cool and I really like the scene in the safe ending where he has the picture and obviously we don't see it, but it's him in June or Kane. I'm probably going to kind of use that interchangeably. Um, he's, you know, telling this story about how he used to be her Santa, and then she died, <laughs> and, like, Morphogenic Sorrow's playing, it's like, ah, I'm gonna cry. But I think Santa is very interesting, and I wish that we seen more of him, because it, it just feels weird that we don't see him again, if that makes sense, because, um, mm, I want, mm, if, if you're listening, you've probably played the rest of the Zero Escape game, so here's your spoiler warning for VLR and ZTD, but, you know, if you think of some of the characters that play a really big role in the series, so Junpei, Akane, who is, you know, Zero in this game, and plays a big part in VLR and ZTD, and then if you think of Sigma, who is obviously a big part of VLR and ZTD, and is also Zero in VLR, um, Zero tends to have some impact <laughs> on future games, and obviously Akane is technically Zero, but Santa, or, or Aoi, Aoi Kurashiki, um, also plays a big role in this, and I do wish that we got to see him more, and I remember, you know, Uchikoshi, either, it was both tweets or the VLR interview, where, you know, people were asking, are we going to see Santa or Aoi again in ZTD, and then we didn't, <laughs> and then we didn't, so, you know, what could have been, but I think he's really cool. I think he he definitely has depression. Um, but he's great. And like I said, I wish I could go more in depth about him. But uh, my brain is fried. So next we have Clover. And I have some realizations about Clover. And if you watched me stream 999 the other day, you're probably sick of me talking about it. Because I brought it up like three times. But I think that Clover is very interesting. Because early on in the game, uh, before Snake disappears, she is... She's holding it together really well. I, like, I don't want to say she's, like, happy-go-lucky because that seems really weird in this situation. But she's kind of cheerful. She is... She's just vibing. Like, she's doing pretty okay. I think it's because she feels safe being around her brother, you know. Even in this shitty situation, she feels protected. She feels safe because of him. And obviously, she knows what happened nine years ago. So it's not completely unfamiliar territory. And so she starts off all right. But once Snake dies, um, she brings a lot of that sort of atmosphere of tension to the game. Um, she makes everyone tense. <laughs> like, if think of, if there's like a part in Persona 4 where uh, Yosuke says something to Nanako about like, oh, I bet your mom like makes really good pancakes or some shit. I don't know. I'm, it's something like that. And Nanako's like, my mom died. Like, it's that kind of energy where everyone just doesn't really know how to talk to her. Like, like once someone says that, like, what the fuck do you say? Um, it's, it's very similar energy as that. And it's almost like walking on eggshells. Like they, like they just met her. So it's kind of weird to try and like comfort her. But also it's, it's just a very weird energy that she brings to the group and this tension. 
and they just don't know what to do with her. And when, you know, they kind of start talking about what if Zero was one of us, um, Clover is the first one to say that and really be like, yeah, that's, it's probably one of us. Um, she doubts everyone because she just lost her brother. She can't trust anyone, you know? Before, she trusted Snake, obviously, but now she has no one that she can trust. One of these people killed her brother. Like, what the fuck? It is, she is just very interesting in that way. And then, obviously, um, there's the accenting, which I think is where she snaps. Uh, and this is actually, like, the last ending that I ever got for 999. So, I'd be interested to know how you would perceive Clover <laughs> if you got that ending first. <laughs> I feel like you would look at her differently, like, every other playthrough. But anyway, that wasn't my experience. <laughs> but yeah, I think that Clover is very interesting in that way. So then we have Junpei, who is, as I'm sure some of you know, my favorite character. Um, and actually, he wasn't my favorite character when I first played 999, but after playing ZTD, he became my favorite character. But he is fantastic. I already said this, but Evan Smith's voice acting adds a lot to his character in the remaster. And he manages to be both dumb and very smart, which I think is fantastic. I think that's a very lovable trait. <laughs> and um, I like seeing him pick up on other timelines in the true ending because of the morphogenetic field. So towards the ending, the true ending... Um, he knows things that he shouldn't because, you know, we already did the safe ending where we found out about, like, Gintaro Hongo and all these things about, uh, Cradle Pharmaceuticals, and Junpei shouldn't know some of that in the timeline that we are currently in, but he does, and I think that's very cool. Also, I think one thing that is really interesting about Junpei is that he had to be the protagonist in this game, which might sound kind of weird, um, <laughs> it might sound kind of, kind of odd because it's like anyone could have been the protagonist like it doesn't really matter but like out of this group of characters specifically and with the circumstances he had to be the protagonist um you know you look at games like I don't know let's say Danganronpa and like it's Makoto Nayegi he's the protagonist and it fits him because he's like plain and boring he's like the ultimate hope or whatever but you know it, it, the technically Makoto Nayegi could have been anything he could have had kind of different personality he could have had a different backstory, you know, like his backstory with Maisono, it didn't have to be there, but it was for plot reasons, which is fine, but he didn't, it wasn't have to be that way. But with Junpei, he has to be the protagonist of this because of his relationship with Akane. No one else in that group could have saved her, which I think is interesting. Um, he has to be the protagonist because this whole game has built up that we have to save Akane, and that is the final part of the game. And the boss battle, if you will, is Sudoku. And I think Junpei has a lot to deal with when it comes to that, and obviously you can't really start to unpack that until the very end of the game, but he has this burden of saving a child. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> he has a lot to deal with, and I just... I, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine being in that position... Um, but he is a very good protagonist, I think. Just fantastic. And I find sometimes protagonist characters can be difficult to talk about because maybe you don't analyze them the most, which is, I feel like, kind of what I'm doing right now. But, um, he's a great protagonist, so, yeah. Um, and next we have Akane, or June. I'm gonna call her Akane from here on out, I think. Um, she is fantastic. I think that 
regardless of the rest of the games in Zero Escape, I think that 999 Akane is one of the best written characters that I have seen, truly. And I think that, and she's my favorite villain, I think, in probably any game, because what is a villain, right? Um, she has her reasons for doing what she did. It's not, she's not this big, bad, like, very obvious villain, and at the same time, you can sympathize with her like you would a regular villain, like a regular villain, but there are a lot of villains that you can sympathize with. You see why they have done the things they do, but I think Akane specifically is very, very interesting um, in that she's very morally gray. <laughs> her motivations are very different, I think, than most villains that I've seen, because even if you have a sympathetic villain, um, their reasoning for doing things isn't always there. You know, the ends doesn't justify the means, I guess. Or vice versa, I don't know. But Akane is like, she's doing this to save herself. And God, have you ever seen any other story where this happens? Because I haven't. Um, she starts off as the regular love interest. You don't really think much about her. Um, you might suspect her because she seems a bit too good, but <laughs> she's into conspiracy. She has a lot of knowledge. She probably likes astrology. But then you find out all of this deep shit about her and how she was a part of this nonary game. Now she fucking died, but somehow she's here. Um, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Another interesting thing is that she faints a lot and... I believe this was confirmed that when she is fainting, it's usually because we are on the wrong track. Um, so she faints quite a bit in the safe ending. Um, and I believe I could be wrong, but I think she also faints around the time if you choose to go in door two. I think she faints, but I, I could be wrong about that. But she faints a lot when things are going wrong. And if you get like the sub ending or the safe ending, she will literally, like, fade away. Like, you'll turn around and then she's gone. Like, she has just fucking faded away because you chose the wrong path. Uh, very, very fun, lighthearted things going on. <laughs> I, I think what really solidified Akane as being a good villain and being fantastic was the whole I Am Zero monologue uh, in the true ending where you find out that it's her um, and she just talks about the shit that the, that she went through and what she had to do to get there. And it's, it's so unique. And like the feeling it gives me, it's another thing about that atmosphere. Um, it's very unique and I haven't seen like another game that really made me feel that way. Just very, very fantastic. And she's very selfish, which I don't know if that's like controversial to say, but she is very, very selfish. She did this whole thing to save herself, which... I, it is what it is. Like, I get your motivations. But, like I said, she's very morally gray in the way that she did this to save herself, which I don't think we can really blame her for. But at the same time, you see this dark side of her where she is taking revenge on the people that killed her and put her and these other kids through the first nonary game nine years ago, um, where, you know, she knew... From, from the morphogenetic field, she knew that she was going to kill the other members of Cradle Pharmaceuticals, except for Ace, because she wanted him to suffer more. Like, 
I don't know. I, that's a lot. Like, she willingly killed three people. She planned on doing that. She killed them to get her revenge. And then she made the last one suffer. And I don't blame her for Ace. Like, I don't blame her for any of that. But I, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, I think for the most part, most of us can agree that killing people is morally wrong. Even if we think that we have reasons, if it's not like, right in self-defense, I think a lot of people would agree that, for the most part, you don't want to kill people. <laughs> um, so she is very morally gray, and even the people that she doesn't kill, that have not done her wrong, that are going to help her even, she puts them through a lot of trauma with the nonary game. Um, she is not a good person. I struggle to call her a good person, even though I think that her intentions are good. I think that she is selfish and I love her. Like, she's one of my favorite characters because of that. I think that she is very interesting, but I think that she is very selfish and that I, it's not that she doesn't think about how this will affect the other people in their lives, but she definitely is prioritizing herself. Um, she puts Junpei, this person that she loves, that has done a lot for her, um, she's putting him through so much, all this trauma to save her. And this burden that he has to carry of, you know, saving her. And, you know, it's, just, it's a lot. And, like, she puts Seven, Lotus, Clover, Snake. She puts all of them through this as well. Um, you know, Santa, or Owie, has willingly agreed to do this. He wants to save her. But, and I'm sure, you know, once Junpei figures out that this is going to save her, he's fine with it. But that's a lot to unpack, you guys. Like, uh, th there's just so much. Like, I doubt Lotus and Seven and Clover and Snake want to be a part of this. <laughs> you just gave them trauma for life, honey. And I mean, obviously, they all already have trauma. But it's, it's a lot. I also think it is cool um, if you play the DS version, or even if you play the Nonary Games version... You probably know that the novel mode or the bottom screen is narrated by Child Akane, seeing things through um, Jubei's eyes, basically using the morphogenic field. And this is actually foreshadowed by certain lines, at least in my mind it's foreshadowed. I can't remember if this was like confirmed or not, but um, as we noticed when we were streaming the game, there's a lot of descriptions that are compared to food. Um, she compares intestines to like spaghetti and then there's another one where she's saying like raw pizza dough with tomato sauce and it's very weird descriptions it's very I think accurate and adds to the atmosphere as well but it's these really weird descriptions of insides basically and being strewn about um and she's a child how else is she going to describe those sites you know I think that's it's pretty cool on their part but yeah, I think that Akane overall is a fantastic character in this game. And, you know, I feel like I could analyze her forever. <laughs> like, she is just very, very interesting. And I feel like, as a lot of things with 999, the more I play it, the more I pick up on certain things. And the more I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> you know, it, it's very interesting. Like I said, there were some things about Clover and what she brings to the table that, you know, I'm sure I already like subconsciously kind of picked up on, but, you know, really being able to dive deep into that is really interesting to me. So if you're also a big fan of 999, I hope you're enjoying listening to me just ramble on. <laughs> 
So then we have Seven, who, uh, when I first played 999, he was my favorite character. <laughs> I, I love Seven so much. He is so funny. Um, he's like a big bear that I just want to hug. Like, he's very lovable. Um, I know there's one part in, it's, I can't remember. It's like the first class cabin. Yeah, first class cabin where it's the escape room part. And he can, like, sing a little song to Junpei. It's about him, like, being a Taurus or something, just because he says that Junpei seems like a Taurus. He's just very funny like that and very wholesome. He's a very wholesome character. Um, he, he's really great. And he also has amnesia at the beginning of the game, as you already know. And this is obviously vital to the plot because here's the thing. People couldn't know who Ace was. So... Obviously, Snake knew, but he, like, he wasn't going to say anything about it. Whereas I feel like if it was Seven, if Seven retained his memories and, like, recognized Ace, everything would have gone downhill because I think Seven would have been pissed off and would have, like, gone after him, whereas, obviously, Snake didn't, um, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but he helped save the kids in the first Nonary game, and actually, you find this out in the true ending, but also, if you go through... I can't remember what door it is, but it, it's one of the doors that only leads to a bad ending. There is never any situation where it leads to a good ending. You go in it with um, Junpei, Lotus, and Seven, and he starts remembering things because this is basically where he was when he snuck onto the ship to save the children, And but then he was caught, so they like, detained him in this little sort of like jail cell almost. And so he, he, like, he's back in that room, and that's how he remembers. Um, so he helped save the kids in the first nonary game. I love him. Like, good for him. Like, I just got a clap for Seven. That was a weird clap, but, like, I love him very much. And I also love his dynamic with Junpei and Lotus. He's just very lovable, and... You know, him and Junpei are kind of, like, bros. And there's, like, some parts where, like, Seven... I don't know if he, like, hugs him or just, like, he, like, pats him on the back. And there's, like, a thumping sound and Junpei's, like, holy shit. Because he's just, like... He's, like, a big dog that is just so lovable and, like, doesn't know how hard he's being on you. <laughs> he's just a good guy. He would protect you. And he's great. He's fantastic. I cannot... I love Seven so much. He's still one of my favorite characters in this game. And if we were ever to get another Zero Escape game, I would want to see Seven. Like, truly. He briefly gets mentioned in ZTD, but that's not enough for me. So, yeah. <laughs> and then we have Lotus, who is fantastic. She's older. Uh, she dresses very, very unique, I will say. Um, and she's also a programmer, and she's very smart. And I really like that about her. I will say I don't like how a lot of the other characters treat her. I do like her dynamic with Seven, but, you know... Even the other characters are kind of like, what the fuck? And I don't know. I don't like how they make fun of her for being older. I think it's kind of weird. Especially because she doesn't look older at all. I remember when I first played this game, I was like, she's like 40? Like, what the fuck? She does not look like 40 with those titties. But anyway, stop being mean to Lotus. I think that she is, you know, she was also one of my favorite characters when I first played 999. And she's still one of my favorite characters. So, Yeah. Um, and she, here's an interesting thing about her, is that she appears to be selfish throughout the game. So there's a few times where she'll talk to Junpei, and she's like, we could go through this door. And it's not, like, an agreed-upon thing, like, they haven't really talked about it yet. She's like, well, we could, 
she talks about teaming up with, I think, Junpei, Akane, I don't remember who else, maybe Clover, um, at some point to go through a certain door. And she appears to be selfish um, throughout the game. But then I think it's interesting because when you get to the true ending, um, she's actually um, willing to be sacrificed because they're talking about how they're going to get through the number nine door with the bracelets that they have. And basically the math that Clover figures out is that they can't get through with Lotus. And she's like, it's okay, guys, like, go on without me. And that's, I mean, obviously that doesn't happen, but I think that does show some sort of growth for her and also for Seven, because <laughs> they've been fighting this entire time so far. And once Lotus talks about, you know, how she will be this sacrificial lamb, Seven's like, no, no, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, I love them so much. I think that they are married, happily married now. That's not canon at all, by the way. That's just me saying what I want. <laughs> um, but she is also the mother of twins that were actually in the first Nonary game. And so that's how she's connected to all this. But she doesn't know that. Um, she only actually finds out about that in like one ending, which isn't like the safe ending or the true ending, I believe. Um, she might be kind of piecing it together in the true ending, but it isn't, it's only in the ending where you're with uh, Junpei, Seven, and Lotus, where Seven sort of explains it to her, that that's what happened. And she feels, she, I remember she feels kind of guilty about it, if I remember correctly. So that's kind of sad. <laughs> like, you did nothing wrong, queen. Um, so throughout a lot of the true ending, where they're talking about, like, what happened nine years ago, there's a lot of parts where Lotus is like, what the hell happened nine years ago? Like, why the fuck? Like, nine years this, nine years that. What the fuck happened? And she's just very left out, and I feel kind of bad for her, but <laughs> it is kind of funny, so it is what it is. Um, and then our last main character is the ninth man, and the ninth man is less of a character and more of a plot device, which you would think would be a bad thing, but I actually think it works really good here. So, um, he works as a plot device to show the gravity of the situation. He is very skittish at first. He's not really saying anything. And then he pulls a knife on Clover and he's like, we're gonna, I'm going through this door. Fuck you guys, basically. But once he gets through the door, he realizes he's about to be killed because uh, the dead or the red, one of them, the verifier thing hasn't worked. And so he's like, fuck, I'm about to explode. <laughs> um... And there's actually some foreshadowing here about Ace being a traitor, or maybe traitor isn't the right word, but about Ace's backstory where the ninth man is saying, he, like, he did this to me. And, you know, first time playing that for me, at least, I was a lot younger, but, you know, first time playing it, I kind of brushed that off. I was like, this man is fucking, like, he's crazy. Like, I don't, you know, I just didn't think about it. Um, but that is actually foreshadowing and that is revealed, I believe, in the safe ending when Junpei is piecing together that Ace has done all this shit. And so, yeah, but he does work as a plot device, the ninth man, for basically just showing how high the stakes are for this nonary game and that it is very real. And obviously the number nine bracelet works as a plot device throughout the game in pretty much every ending. Um, he, it's very important. So he's a plot device <laughs> for the most part, but I think that's okay. So let's talk about the endings. So, I really got to push through this. This is a long-ass podcast. Um, so, Knife... So, the bad endings are Knife, Submarine, and Axe. Um, and they all depend on the last door you go through. Um, 
I can't remember exactly what ones, uh, but they all depend on the last door you go through. So if you don't go through the doors in a certain order to get safe or true ending, the ending you get completely depends on the last one that you choose. And also, if you ever played the iOS version of 999, you can't get it anymore. I only have it on like a really old iPod. <laughs> so it's like not up to buy anywhere, but that was a thing at some point. And there was a syringe ending, which is, if I remember correctly, Clover basically drugs you. So same kind of idea as the axe ending, only a bit different. And I believe that happens if you go through the shower room. It's, it's something along those lines. It's not too memorable. So you didn't really miss much, but there is another ending in the iOS version. So yeah. And also, I don't think I mentioned this earlier. I'm like trying to keep track of what I haven't, haven't already said. Um, but I believe it is both the knife and the submarine ending, or at least one of them that foreshadows that Ace is killing people. Um, because I believe it is shown in one of them you know, everyone is dead, basically, and Ace is there, and he's laying there, but I believe Junpei checks everyone's pulse except for Ace, or, like, he's the only one that's not covered in blood. I don't remember exactly, but it's something along those lines. There is foreshadowing that it is Ace that is killing everyone, so fun times. <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about the safe ending. So this might be my favorite in the game. Obviously, I'm torn between that and the true ending, but it is very fantastic and I love the build-up to the scene with Junpei interrogating Ace. That's one of my favorite parts in the game. Um, you know, throughout that entire timeline you have Lotus explaining prosopagnosia, um, Ace not being able to finish the puzzle in uh, the, I don't remember what room it's called, but he can't finish it because it has faces. And then you have the scene in the big hospital room where Junpei is interrogating Ace. And the safe ending, in my opinion, has some of the most iconic lines in the entire series. Um, other than Akane's sort of monologue about being zero in the true ending, um, you know, you have truth had gone, truth had gone, and truth had gone, something with the sinister hand, I don't remember the rest, but I love that line. I think it's just very cool seeing Junpei sort of piece together that riddle of truth had gone and, you know, using the buttons on the bracelet and finding the note. It's very, it's just very cool. I love it. I love it so much. I, we recently streamed this. And I had so much fun playing it. So much so that I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. Now, here we are. Um, I've currently been recording for one hour, 24 minutes. So let's go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really love seeing it come together. And then there's, of course, the other iconic line. Unfortunately, that's the wrong answer. Actually, I'm Santa. And I don't know, maybe I'm just biased in some way. Maybe I'm the only one that likes those lines as much as I do, but... I love the safe ending. <laughs> um, and I already briefly talked about this, but no one tells Snake that Clover died. I also, I forgot to mention that. So Clover dies. Um, but no one tells Snake that Clover dies once they find him. They get him out of the coffin. Um, no one tells him. And then, so now it's up to Ace to tell him, which is not great because Ace is the one that killed her. And I, you know, talked about this earlier where his lines and Richard Eckhart's voice acting are just really fantastic here. Very disturbing. Very great. <laughs> and then we get to the true ending. So you learn a lot here about Ice Nine. So just throughout the timeline, uh, you've got a lot of sort of explanations from Akane, from Lotus, from a lot of people. Um, you learn about all ice, the morphogenic field theory, um, etc., etc. 
Um, one of the scenes that I really like in the true ending is where uh, Clover hugs Junpei because Snake isn't dead. Um, it's because, you know, like I said, up to that point, she has been very tense. She has been this very sort of negative energy character given her circumstances of what has happened to her brother. And I really like how it's, it's very like light in that, like the picture, if that makes sense. Um, you know, Clover is like crying and she's just very happy and she's just hugging Junpei. Junpei's kind of like, what the fuck? <laughs> but it is like, it's a very nice scene and I really love it. It's great. <laughs> but as for, you know, the general true ending, and this also goes for the safe ending, they are just heartbreaking. Anytime that Morphogenex Soro plays in this game, I am just a mess because Morphogenex Soro just feels so emotionally heavy and like, the parts where it plays are so emotionally heavy. Um, it's just so good. <laughs> and yeah, we learned about uh, the Nonary game nine years ago, Connie dying. And one part that is really sort of scary, like I pointed out earlier, was uh, the madness in Ace's face uh, when he, uh, Connie is trying to solve the final puzzle. It's, it's fucked. <laughs> um... And you have this big moment of Akane, you know, saying that she is zero. I mean, not really. It's it's just the narrator. It's not, like, actually Akane, like, telling us in, you know, the actual part that we are at. It is her narrating through the morphogenic field, I guess. Um, everything. Oh, and then it's up to Junpei to save her. And then you get that final Sudoku puzzle, which they fucking ruined in the Nonary Games version. I'm so sorry if you played the Nonary Games version of this game first. Um, that is the one thing I really don't like about the Nonary games, because Sudoku would still have been fine, I think. I don't know why they didn't keep it, why they just completely changed the puzzle. Obviously, I don't think you could have done the two-screen thing like you did on the DS, so if you play the DS version, you'll know that, um, you have to actually flip the DS around, which is really cool, um, it's kind of hard to explain, but it was a very cool moment, and so that's, you know, a reason why I recommend play the DS version if you can, if you're interested. Um, it's very cool, and oh my god, the image of Akane, like, child Akane, just sobbing as she looks into the monitor of this fucking Sudoku machine puzzle, because she has no idea what the fuck to do. She's only a child, and, oh, it's a heartbreaking, like, that genuinely... Oh, it makes me feel things, that picture of Akane just sobbing, because she doesn't, like, can you imagine being, like, eight, nine years old? I don't know how old they are. I'm going to say, like, nine, ten, and just knowing you're going to die because you can't solve a puzzle and you're stuck in a fucking incinerator, and this man, this grown-ass old man is, like, staring into the thing, screaming at you to just do it, just connect to the morphogenetic field. And then you, like, you connect through the morphogenetic field with this boy that you have a crush on, only it's, like, nine years later. It's a lot to unpack, but it is so good, and... I just love this game so much, and I feel like, I'm sure I'm not the only one that thinks this, but, like, the first time I got the true ending, I was kind of like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> um, and even now, I'm still kind of like, what the fuck happened? But, um, 
I just, I love this game so much. I think that the storytelling is absolutely fantastic. It just, mm, I would like another zero escape. Um, but then we do escape. They do escape. They do. And they find out that they aren't actually on a ship. They were at the uh, other place in Nevada. And so then they just drive away. But Akane and Santa are nowhere to be found. So that's fun. We just put everyone through absolute hell and now we can't even say thank you. Like, okay. That is a bit weird. I do understand why they do it. But... Like, what the fuck? That's just, that's what I mean when I say that I think Akane is really selfish. Like, I, I'm sure, I think there are reasons, like, in, like, more in-depth explanations somewhere online about why they do that. But it's just like, bro, we literally just saved you after you killed, like, three people and put us all through hell. And you can't even say thank you. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure Junpei, like, through the morphogenetic field, younger Akane... Thanks, Junpei. But, like... What the fuck? <laughs> but anyway, it's a solid 9 out of 9 game. Really love it. Best game of all time. My favorite game of all time. Definitely favorite story of all time. And just fantastic. So I'm sure sometime in the future, I will probably do a similar episode like this, talking about Virtuous Last Reward. Because I already did one about Zero Time Dilemma. So this is, like, the weirdest order ever to cover <laughs> the Zero Escape games. Like, what was it, two two episodes ago? It was Zero Time Dilemma, now it's 999. Who knows, someday it'll be BLR. <laughs> Just completely out of order, but it's fine. But I had a lot to say after streaming it and just really because I have a lot of fun sharing and just talking about 999 with you guys and I really realized that when I was streaming the other day uh you know doing the safe ending I was just so happy so I thought I would do a podcast episode going more in depth about my thoughts so yeah thank you so much for listening to Luna's Galaxy podcast if you enjoyed this episode please feel free to like comment and subscribe on YouTube or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps me out a lot. You can rate me five stars. That is fantastic. Or if you want to, like, write out a full review, like, with words and everything, that is, that is so nice. I very much appreciate it. I will be back on Tuesday, September 28th, for the next episode, where we'll be discussing who knows what. If you want to be a part of the Luna's Galaxy community, you can join our Discord server. Link in the description. Luna's Galaxy. Um, you can also keep up with me on Twitter, Instagram, or Twitch, where I'm at Emmy Luna Games. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.